As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is the Tribune Audio Network. You know the big bear is strong. Hit that street All on the mighty ground day. Big bass drum, let that street parade all on the mighty grove. Big bass drum, let that street parade all on the mighty grove. All you can hear. And we were just listening to the immortal music of the one and only Dr. John. Yeah. Who unfortunately passed away recently. We're about to have his public um, ceremony. We've already had several second lines. Yep. This is Steve Maloney with WGNO, and I'm sitting here with the immortal LBJ. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. John started out in New Orleans. He was born in 1941 as Malcolm John Rebenack. And that's one of the things that I always read when I read interviews with him. He was talking about he held people in really high esteem that remembered that his name was actually Mac, <laughs> that he went by Mac. And he would yeah. say, like, oh, uh, Mick Jagger, you know, I always like him. He remembers that my name's Mac. Yeah. And uh, it, it always it's always interesting to me because it's one of those rare situations where the creation became yeah. the man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, he's not a doctor. He's not a medical doctor. <laughs> no, he wasn't. Not even, not even remotely close. <laughs> he didn't have his PhD in anything, maybe hard living. Yeah, yeah. But Mac Rebenack came up through in, a, in a time where, I mean, it was a rough and tumble world. New Orleans yes. was a rough and tumble world. And he was in all, he was playing rock and roll before it was really rock and roll. That's very right. In the early mm-hmm. days. And he crossed all uh, cultural boundaries, all racial boundaries. He was hanging out with James Booker, who mm-hmm. in and of himself was a, a madman mm-hmm. and had his own demons uh, and, and unfortunately claimed his life way earlier than Dr. John. So in some respects, the fact that uh, we're even talking about Mac Rebenack today, mm-hmm. yeah. and I'm sure people like his early teachers uh, wouldn't have thought Shaking that their was head yeah, that, yeah. Well, the cool thing about it is that uh, Mac was of New Orleans and he was of New Orleans in a way uh, that it was no mistaking where he was from, you know, how he came up in the music business or any of those things. And when I say he was of New Orleans, he loved the traditions in New Orleans, the Mardi Gras Indians, the second line bands, the, you know, the, the, the beat, the soul of this music. He also was a cat who really respected the guys who had come before him. And uh, Jesse Hill and those cats had passed on, you know, from the heyday of New Orleans R&B and all that. And he had played on some of those records, produced records for these guys. 
but their kids and grandkids became like nieces and nephews for Dr. John. And we're talking Trombone Shorty. We're talking James Andrews. We're talking Devell Crawford. You know, all of those guys, you know, have posted tributes. And, and you know, I read this morning, Devell uh, said he, sta- he can't stop crying, you know, because uh, uh, of the influence and, you know, that Mac had taken him under their wing. And he was always a guy that really respected all of those cats he had played with. He was the real deal. And he respected, you know, uh, that younger generation coming along as well. You know what? Mac was such an incredible talent, man. He um, he came of age at a time in our city when, in fact, uh, he sort of came up in a in the band set and being able to play and, and played rock for a bit and, and rock sort of leaning in some of those old R&B tunes and all that kind of stuff as well. And uh, sort of just existed, I won't say in the obscurity as a guitar player, but still played session musician, played with a bunch of great folks and stuff over the years. And then, uh, depends on how you see the story or hear it, kind of got ran out of town a few times as a result of some of his uh, behaviors and habits and all that stuff with the law. And uh, picked up on the West Coast and did some session stuff out there. Of course, returns as the triumphant Dr. John at some point um, and, you know, became one of our great pianists uh, in the line of Booker, Fess, Allen, you know, and Dr. John. I mean, and, and we're getting fewer and fewer of those guys, you know, with the authentic- authenticity that uh, Mac had. But, you know, he was... Such a brilliant musician, and over the years, certainly in the 70s and 80s, started to get uh, some commercial success because uh, he was a bad man on guitar and on piano. But he started to have some commercial successes, and and some of his successes actually came by way of not necessarily recordings of records, but of jingles, you know, for for different brands and all. Uh, and national jingles and seeing some successes there. But he also maintained a level of respect in the music business where folks knew that he could play. He was one of the New Orleans boys who could play and uh, and really, you know, saw some successes. Certainly the Ricky Lee Jones making Whoopi was a big thing. Right Place the Wrong Time was his first big national hit. And over the years, man, he just kind of compiled up, just kept adding on to just how bad a man he was. Eventually landing in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, we placed a few in there, Alan and some other cats. Um, and it's great that he's there. Uh, went on to win several Grammys. I think it's, uh, what's the number? I think he won six and he was nominated for 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, a uh, big number on the Grammys and all that. But, you know, up until the end, man, Mac was putting out pretty good stuff. Uh, we hear stories now that his last recording is set to be released in uh, a fairly short period of time. And he was recording what would be uh, some of his songs re-engineered or redone a different way, some of his classics, but also some country tunes, which is pretty interesting because that just shows you the breadth of how big he was and how he could do so many different things. A couple years ago, one of the songs that he, one of the 
projects that he got real acclaim about was the, you know, doing the Louis Armstrong songs over again, you know, doing Pops' stuff. And he said Pop came to him in a dream, you know, and that, uh, you know, he decided he wanted to do his stuff, you know. Um, in fact, the, the record is called Ski Dat Dee Dat, you yeah. know, and, and he did that and, and, it, and it saw some acclaim as well. And here's Dr. John talking about that somewhat mystical experience of when he decided to do that amazing uh, Louis Armstrong album. Louis came to me in this dream and he laid it out to me to, to do his music my way. And that was the, it was like an order. <laughs> Dr. John definitely had his own way of talking. Yes. And from his own vocabulary, <laughs> his own diction, sort of like Christopher Walken, but uh, from New Orleans and living on the wrong side of the track. Yeah, he called me a carry actor. <laughs> and he signed a card for me that also had some expletives that I probably shouldn't put in the... Uh, podcast but he um he was he was just such a sweet man uh in many ways and he also didn't suffer fools too lightly especially um people that he thought were shady or fake he'd certainly seen his share of shady folks in the music business from managers to promoters to whatever but he also wasn't cool with shady media people he just and i will forever be grateful because he totally uh was cool with me from the very beginning What's the first time you met him? How did you meet him so originally? So the absolute first time that I met Dr. John is in 1995 or 96. I'd always heard Dr. John. I'd always sang his songs and all that. I remember in Right Place, Wrong Time when I was a kid. It's a big song and all that. But I met him in 95 or 96. I'd just become the program director of WYLD FM back then. And um, there was a Gavin radio convention, I should say, in town. And at that convention, there were, and this was like, like my first convention that I'm going to or whatever, of, of radio professional people from around the world and all that. And one of the labels in town at the time was GRP, Dave Grusin and those guys. And as the story goes, GRP had just signed Dr. John. And Dr. John was at this dinner at Antoine's. And um, and they had us, we were all invited to this dinner and all that. And I didn't know Dr. John was going to be there, you know, or anything like that. But anyway, he gets there. He had just signed with GRP. And they're walking folks around to come and meet him and all. And um, and they introduced me. Yeah, this is uh, LeBron LBJ. He is a new program director at WYLD here in New Orleans in your own town, Dr. John. And so... Uh, I went over to shake his hand. He said, come here. He said, uh, what are we doing in there with all these white folks? <laughs> and that is Dr. John. That, for, I, I couldn't say anything. I was in stitches. I, I almost passed out. You know what I mean? That was in 1995, you know, or, or 96. But, but that was Mac, man. Um, years later, I interviewed him once or twice for radio. But... Here at WGNO, we had the honor of being um, at uh, being invited to come to his house. Um, we had been in touch with his media folks and all that, and he was doing a number of different things. Um, and we were first supposed to connect. He was he was actually going to do the twist stage 
uh, in town for a minute, but he was living away for a bit. And I think he was living out on Long Island. He had moved back to New Orleans or was about to move back. And so that never worked out. But Karen um, Beninato, who was a real sweetheart, she was his publicist to the very end of his life, Karen uh, connected me and said, hey, look, if you want, uh, we can have you come over and talk to Mac uh, on the back porch, on the bayou and stuff. And, and if, if you're interested, he might even play a little bit. I said, oh, my God, yes. So me, along with the cameraman, Ed Matthews, spent an entire day with him. You know, I'd seen him over the years. We'd connect and shake hands and share a story. I'd remind him about the first time I saw him in Antoine's in 95 and all that kind of stuff. But uh, on this day, he um, was very open and very sweet and very generous. And we spoke for the better part of an hour. And then he uh, they'd set up a little electric piano out on the back porch. And Mac decided to play for a while. And that was just a beautiful, it's... It's a moment I'll cherish forever because it was a wonderful time to spend some time with him. Eventually, I, I, and not too long after that, I guess within six or eight months, Mac was also doing the um, the Link Strajewski Bal Mosque, and he was headlining that. And so his folks reached out and said, hey, if you want to talk to Mac, he and uh, Chef Donald Link and Steven are going to be at you know, Pesh or whatever. If you want to meet us over there with your camera guy, bam. Okay, of course, we're there and all that. And we spent a little more time with him. And we actually sat down and we ate. Oh, that day at Karen's, we had um, uh, raccoon uh, that um, that one of the chefs downtown, had, Tenny Flynn, had prepared and sent over. So he was okay. And he told me that I needed to eat some raccoon. So that was my first <laughs> raccoon. And so we did that. And then... Uh, of course, the Link Strajewski thing. We sat down and broke bread there and ate some fish and all of that. Um, but the interesting thing about that interview, I remember you telling me on that day, was that they had to come in with the uh, burning sage. And oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He turned me on to his boy over at, uh, at, at the, the burning sage and stuff over at uh, Pharaoh's Cave. They sell that stuff. And he told yeah, you go over there and see him. Tell him I sent you. you know? <laughs> so I got sage at the house that I burned from time to time. And I, I really think, I mean, I remember seeing him, mm-hmm. the touring band at Voodoo one year. And it was, yeah. it was dark. The stage was dark. He had a guy look just like Coco Robichaux came out. And they, he had his uh, canes. He had his uh, skull, his Voodoo yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff. And they're burning all that stuff. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, like, I wonder how much is Mac Rebenack and how yeah. much is Dr. John like at home did he turn yeah. around and, and actually do that or did he do it sort of as a performance as an extension where yeah. was where was the line no, eventually? I think it was all it was all Mac now whether you called him Dr. John or not I think it was all Mac because even when we saw him for the interview he was just he was laid back he was cool but he had on his necklace with the teeth in there and all that stuff you know what I mean he might not have had the big headdresses on or none of that stuff, but, you know, he was still Mac. Um, his son had pretty much become his caretaker by then, and that's who was taking care of him and everything. But, you know, uh, we had that opportunity. And then um, he played uh, uh, um, the festival, the um, Family Grout Festival out in Jefferson Parish uh, a year or so later, and he invited me over. And I dashed right out of the newsroom and all of that and got over there. And Karen said, he asked about you. He wanted to know if you were coming because I told him you were coming. And so that was good. So we got a chance to uh, do that. And then the last time that I actually spent some real time with Mac, um, he was scheduled to 
It was either play Jazz Fest or play something that, oh, it's Tipitina shows. Uh, um, and that got canceled. That would have been, the, I think, the New Year's Eve or around Mardi Gras. He does these couple shows at Tips. We went one year and it was really awesome. But another time, the year after that, they, they canceled that show. And so he was, you know, not in the best of health and starting to slow down a bit. But also got a call a year and a half ago. Uh, hey, Max, celebrating the 77th birthday. We'd love for you to come. It's going to be a small group of us over at the Napoleon House in, in the quarter. And so we went over there to that, man. And, and that was the coolest thing in the world because he also, that day, you know, we pinned the mic on him. We talked a little bit, but he wasn't really talking a whole lot. You know, we laughed and everything. And he wrote, he wrote me out a card. That, that's when he wrote that card out. On his birthday, he wrote me a card. <laughs> which had all kinds of expletives that I have at my house or in my office, and I love that. Um, but the governor and the city had sent proclamations over, and they asked me to read them and everything. And so that turned out to be a really sweet day as well. And it wasn't his birthday. Yeah, it turns out it wasn't. Well, it turns out it was. It was the first of his 77th birthdays. <laughs> Dr. John, uh, unlike most folks, had two yeah. 77th birthdays. Apparently his family realized that they were a year off on the years and uh, chose to celebrate his 77th birthday again uh, just this past year. But, you know, um, all in all, you know, I guess in the, in the grand scheme of things, the more time that I spent with Mac would have been in the autumn or winter of his life, you know. Um, I would have loved to have had some of those times early on. Uh, I'm sure they were some crazy, heady times. I do know that... Uh, we're in this time where we're losing right. a lot of an entire generation of just brilliant um, New Orleans artists. And it seems like this stuff happens in clumps when you start losing folk, you know, just this week or just the last month or so. Leah Chase, of course, uh, Mac and, and, you know, these other guys that we lost, uh, Boren. Um, Spencer Boren. Yeah, Spencer Boren. And then we had the other guy, the guitarist guy, played a bit of Zydeco and all. Um, Little Buck Senegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so it, it's we've just been in this time where, you know, it sort of comes in clumps, but it's an entire generation and they're all about the same age, man, you know. And uh, the, it, it's a time for us to sort of reflect on just what they've meant to us. Uh, there's been no shortage of of um, of video tributes going around and old footage. You know, I saw one just the other day, you know, and they had a compilation of the times that he played on the Letterman show. Yeah, obviously, you know, Paul oh, yeah. Schaefer and Letterman was a he was a favorite of theirs because they had an appreciation for his music, you know, and he was more than anything just a consummate the consummate uh musician. Yeah, and that's one of the most amazing things to me. So he, here you've got a guy, he's 14, 15 years old, he's cutting records, yeah. he's he's skipping out of school, um he's he's putting stuff together. He does uh, Storm Warning, which yeah. to this day holds up. I mean, yeah. that is an amazing yeah. album. Yeah. Yeah. It's just completely, you know, on the old little 45. And then um, he gets arrested. He has some heroin uh, issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets kicked out of town, supposedly, wherever the truth may lie in that. A lot yeah. of this is shrouded in sort of the yeah. Dr. John fog. <laughs> I've got a shrouded story in a right. minute, but go for it. <laughs> so he goes to L.A. and yeah. just starts playing. And, I mean, that's really the testament to his talent, to his yeah. ungodly almost talent. He could just play anything. And I should mention, he played guitar for a long time, yeah. got into a bar fight, uh, yeah. defending one of his... 
is uh, outside of a uh, after a gig outside of a club yeah. defending one of his bandmates. He gets part of his finger shot off. Right, so, so, so he, he can't play guitar anymore. That's what he told me the story. In fact, let's take a listen to what Mac told me about that finger getting shot off and how he was able to sort of get back in. My head got shot in my finger, and that was the end of my guitar career. Wow. And I know that Ron Montrell had taught me good guitar, Papoose taught me good guitar, and A.G. Goomer taught me good guitar. And that was spiritually off the hook in, in, in its way. So just the interesting thing is almost nobody gets the level of guitar playing that he got to. <laughs> He's in rarefied air as a guitar player. And he gets his finger shot off. Because, and he yeah. turns, ah, I guess I'll learn piano. Yeah. And he becomes this yeah. legendary piano player. And he, organ. who Booker showed, he told me Booker showed him, you know, how to how to play the organ, man. That Booker was his teacher and helped him to sort of get and do another thing and keep his groove on. Yeah. I do know that um, one of the... Uh, as we've started to lose folk, and I think that the death of Alan Toussaint hit him especially hard. You know, these guys were all of the same generation, if you will. Um, and Alan was one of this one of those things that surprised everyone because Alan was a I won't say the man was a health nut, but he certainly uh, lived a pretty much healthier lifestyle than most, myself included. You know, and he never dabbled in. You know, narcotics. I don't even think Alan Toussaint drank, you know, but he had wound up having a massive heart attack uh, uh, while performing overseas and passes away. And I do know that Mac was um, immensely affected by that, a, uh, immensely sad for a significant period of time about that. And I don't know if he ever got past that. You know, he speaks about Alan and the love he had for Alan. He, he loved to write songs, and that's something spiritually I ain't gonna never forget about Alan. The musical sweet spot for me yeah. is the albums, there's two or three albums where it's Dr. John, Alan Toussaint's producing, and the meters are the band playing with Dr. John. What about Grigri? Oh, it's, well, Grigri was, was, uh, he was, that was the first one. That was the first one. He was out in LA. Right. But when he came back, he did Right Place, Wrong Time, Definitively right. Bonnaroo. Yes. I mean, he had about 30 albums almost. Yes. And the range of music is just insane. Yes. And when you, when you start listening to, uh, Grigri, I mean, that album, put that on when the the sun's going down yeah. on Halloween night and just drive around in your car and listen to that, you will be freaked out. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It, 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 it's so great. But it was never commercial, commercially uh, successful, yes. but every musician who heard it loved it. Yes. And they came directly to him. So then you get, uh, that was in 69, so by yes. mid-70s, he's got uh, Clapton and he's yes. got um, uh, all of the Rolling Stones yes. on one of his albums and he went and played for the Rolling Stones on one of their albums. Yes, and he does the last waltz and all that too and that's a big part of his career and stuff. You can see him in the movie and all, you know. Um, just the breadth of the amount of people that he managed to play with and people that desire to play with him is really amazing. And, you know, certainly everybody locally, but just on a national and international level. And it's really one of those situations where the magnet of these really good musicians knowing other really good musicians when they hear them, when they see them. And that's kind of was 
the, in my opinion, what his career was. Right. You know, he had got, attained a level that if you can play with Mac for anything, you know, uh, then then it's just a beautiful thing because yeah. he he just was that bad a man. You know, he, he was pretty serious. We're going to miss him. And to me, uh, one of the things I noticed in the sort of weeks after he passed away, he talked like my grandma. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he, he, that that accent. I'm not talking about the Dr. John like yeah, that traumaticalized. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Mac when he actually started yeah, yeah, talking. Yeah. He, sent, he had the same accent as my grandma. They yeah, actually yeah, yeah. they actually went to school together. Oh, great, uh, great. I think it was in grammar school. And, and I asked my grandma. I said, "What'd you think of him? How was he? Was he okay?" She said, "He was weird." And that's all she ever said about him. <laughs> but uh, I mean, there's such a chunk of that authentic yeah. New Orleans yeah, that, like yeah. you're saying, that's just passing yeah. away, and Thank it's you. it's so sad. You can't replace that. You can't. Yes. There will never be another Malcolm Rebenag. There'll never be another Dr. Yeah. John. And it's sort of one of the things I'm noticing uh, when people are playing his songs more and more right now. Mm-hmm. It makes you realize exactly what he did. Yes. And nobody can sit at that piano and play like yeah. he could. Nobody can sit like Alan Tucson could. No, yeah. uh, you know, it's com- yeah. it's completely all and all, unique. Fess and all those other folks, and you know. And just, yeah, you're talking about people who I think Dr. John combined a lot of things and he he presented it in a different way and he kept these old traditions alive. And he, and he's right up there with uh, Professor Longhair, who just mm-hmm. created his own type of music. But yeah, there's that throughput from Jelly Roll Morton all the way up to, yes. to the current piano players. And Dr. John is high in that pantheon. He certainly is. And uh, as I said, we're going to miss him. Yeah. Okay, so let's listen to a little bit more Dr. John. And I think the best thing all of us can do right now is, is just that. Listen to the music, let it go down into your soul. And, you know. Uh, and as Mac would say... Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Big bass drum lit that street parade all on the mighty crossy. Big bass drum lit that street parade all on the mighty crossy. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.